I would like to introduce the the man who has no excuse for his last name, Mr. Robert Krakauer. No excuse. <laughs> no Robert, excuse. Robert, coming from a man who has an extremely weird last name to another man who has an extremely weird last name. <laughs> I don't think my name. What did people weird. call? It? I mean, it's weird. What but... did people call you? What did people call you in high school or in grade school? Um. Okay, I'm gonna be frank with you and say I didn't go to grade school because I was homeschooled. But I knew, a lot. of course, I had friends in that time period of my life. Okay, okay. Um, well, the most benign of them was uh, crack, crack hour. Because it's pronounced crack hour, but crack is in C R A C K space H O U R, as in you go crazy every hour. That was most benign of all of the ones I got. That one was that one never <laughs> you really go ca- crazy. Ca- that one ne- <laughs> every that one, hour. That one was a really lame one that I didn't really like care about because nobody really like used it very often the biggest one that became a kind of a big deal when i was about 12 was crack whore yeah and crack crack whore kind of like wildfire <laughs> i mean uh, yeah that, that one's pretty obvious that that's pretty like obvious. the most obvious of all well yeah crack was, <laughs> yeah. i mean i'm sorry but i mean no on. it is and in fact like i i actually used my phone the other day to like look up your contact information or whatever and you know your phone or like a computer or whatever has like those little robot voices that can read stuff to you Oh yeah, and it basically says crack whore. It, it doesn't even basically say it. It, it does for all intents and purposes say crack whore. And like, if I'm like, yeah, if I want to be like directed home or something, I'll be like, get me home. It'll be like, which home for Robert Crack Whore? And I'm like, there I am. That's me. <laughs> Take me to Robert Crack Whore's house. <laughs> yeah, it's so. It's, I mean, it is what it is. Well, and what excuse do you have, Josh? Uh, Josh, wet the camp. That's uh, Josh, wet the pants. Um, pretty Sweatin- much anything with wet and pants, you can what? say with wet and camp. Do you remember yeah. what I called you at one time? No, what was it? It was really good, and I hadn't. I heard said, it. I said, Josh, sweating camp, <laughs> sweating camp. There we go, there we go. I don't know how they missed that. It's one, not like that's, innovative that's, that's, or anything. I felt like you would have gotten that a lot, but no, I'm no, kinda, I'm I've never heard of it. myself. Hey, um, I, I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Before we get into uh, Robert Krakauer's stuff, uh, Robert, are you on Twitter? No, not at all. And Jason, you're barely on Twitter. Dude, I haven't put a tweet in. I feel like I made a tweet kind of recently. <laughs> you made a tweet? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you make tweets all day long, man. Um, no, I think I was like dreaming or something. I, no, I haven't. I haven't tweeted anything. You were dreaming about tweeting. <laughs> I, I have this vision where I like... I can see in the screen like a tweet with my name, my little at symbol or whatever, and it's like that. I but it, I can't even remember what it was. It can't be. No, it's I'm dreaming. <laughs> what are you talking it's about? A very odd dream. Diversify <laughs> <laughs> what your dreams are about. I guess. I, I have this dream where I'm looking at my phone and there's a tweet and it's from me, but it's it's false. <laughs> it's like a struggle dream, dude. <laughs> Struggling with your identity. In the cyber world my online no self. so dude i got a question i got I, I have a struggle i have a twitter struggle dude and i want you guys to help me with it i i was using twitter for like my closest of friends okay and i wouldn't i wouldn't um follow that many people and every once in a while i take out my phone and catch up on just a couple of tweets okay and i feel bad when people would follow me and not that many people do but i feel bad when people would follow me and and i wouldn't follow them back okay or i would follow them back 
And, oh, look at this, dude. Matt's telling me the answer is lists. See, I don't know about lists. I've heard of that. that okay, but anyway, what? You know about it? Well, I know that that's what people say you do to solve this problem. Maybe I got to make them. Because the problem is, look, I know a couple people, and I'll say her name right now. Shannon, okay? And she tweets, like, all day long. <laughs> and, yes, it's the Shannon that you guys know that we used to work with, okay? Oh, yeah. Okay, and, okay uh, got it. Yeah. Dude, it's like her – I don't understand how she does it. It's like her job is to tweet. I don't understand. <laughs> like, how many tweets a day are we talking? Are we talking 10? Dude, okay, what if I told you how many total she's tweeted? Uh, no, Jason, at least 10 an hour. An I'm hour. You're lying. Jeez. You're lying. Uh, I would say that that's pretty, pretty that a is, good guesstimate. Oh, that would annoy me. Imagine, Can't imagine you... having dinner with her. Imagine sitting across from her and just watching her the whole time tweeting. It's like, <laughs> what, is she, you... what are you saying about me? Can't, like... can't you block her tweet stream? You well, still follow it. That's know. what you do. That's blocking do it. It's not dude. following it. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to dude, do we it. We are but, so uh, dumb. Well, this reminds but, me. Matt, your URL was like removed by... You stream, so I did not get that. But I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to touch Shanner's. She has 28k tweets. 20,000 tweets. That's. This reminds me of Instagram for me. I have that same struggle with Instagram, where I want to follow some people, and like I like like you. You're a good guy. I'm not going to say names, but I like these some of these people, and they'll post seven, eight plus photos a day, and it's like, come on. Wow. I don't. I don't want to see know, shoes man. hanging from electrical wires. I don't want to see water on your windshield in the morning when you're driving. I don't care. I just don't care. <laughs> see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I would like to know every once in a while what people that tweet a lot are doing. So what I wish I could do is I could say, can I please only receive like 10% of this person's tweets? You know what I mean? But there's no way to do that. That would be cool. But, but I mean, would you be satisfied with that? Because, the, you know, the 90% that you miss, you no, might miss one of the would... tweets that you really wanted to catch. Uh, you know, a person should, a person should be allowed to apply like a tag to a certain number of tweets per day that are like important, <laughs> and and you everyone will receive priority it. tweets. Yeah, pri high priority tweet. Okay, <laughs> and that, that's their responsibility. That's up to the user. And I don't know though. Maybe it's just like that's not. Maybe I'm not using Twitter how it should be used. Maybe maybe like that's not how it's meant to be used. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I I'm not gonna say that I I know how to use it. So, um, yeah. Well, um, whatever the case is, I've decided I'm just gonna follow anyone who follows me, no matter what. Even those uh, sex ads. Well, okay, if I can verify that it's, like, <laughs> a horny chick that uh, wants me to click on her link, then I guess I won't follow it. But you know what I've noticed? Those actually don't last that long. Yeah. Like, they stop following me. They get disinterested in me. <laughs> Short-term relationships. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> well, dude, you know what? I want to talk about Robert's movie. Dude, let's do it. Uh, this is No Format Podcast episode, oh, shoot. 27 you're right yeah which has no significant no special meaning, meaning whatsoever just 27 27 is a good number you know what we are coming this up on is... i'm always What's looking that? at these little stats 
it, it, it won't happen this episode unless we just run like crazy long somehow. But within the next two episodes, I think we're going to hit uh, 24 hours of record time. 24 hours of edited record time. Well, yeah, actually, it, that's right, because we're probably beyond 24 hours in unedited material, but we'll have, there will be in the next two episodes, like 24 hours of edited material to download. Wow. So you could listen for a whole day. What, Literally what, uh, an entire day. How much, how much disk space does that take up, Jason? We're almost, we're like almost at a, a full gig. Uh, it's like, nine, you, you it's like 900 megabytes. <laughs> and that's in compressed yeah. AAC. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can tell you right now. Um, right now, uh, in the iTunes directory, there are 20.7 hours, and it's um, 759 megabytes. Not bad. Not a bad statistic. Anyway, uh, Wednesday, February 29th, which, by the way, today, until halfway through the day, I thought it was March 1st because my Casio apparently does not account for leap years. <laughs> nice. But, uh, nope, today is... Today is uh, February 29th. It is 8.24 p.m. And have I missed anything, Jason? No. Oh, my name is Joshua Wettenkamp. With me always is... Jason Hayes. And we have our guest. Our special guest. Robert Krakauer. Well, and the reason we got Robert on the show is uh, we want to talk about a movie that... uh, Robert, are you the producer? Are you the... What what do you uh, do? I was the writer and the director of the film. Um, the film was, I mean... Why do you, you call know, it a film and you don't call it a movie? Am I using the wrong terminology I'm being, prete- I'm being pretentious by saying film. It's a movie. <laughs> no, a I movie. mean, is there a difference? I'm not, I'm not when... calling it a film. Please stop me if I do it. No. Okay. There is no difference. Theoretically, you could say a film is literally shot on film and a movie is anything else. Um, no, that's like when in the photography world people say they take pictures film. and then yeah. people say they capture images or whatever and it's like right it's i mean it's thing. just being pretentious it's literally it's just movie okay. it's a moving picture <laughs> it's a movie i was the writer and director of the movie it was produced by my lifelong close friend john magram uh who i have a platonic relationship with but uh i mean in so many words when you're at this level this film was produced by me and him you know he basically was the logistics of the entire film and then i had to be the on-set creative guy who made everything else function. So between the two of us, their set was basically run, or the entire film movie was made. Wow. Um, How long have you been working on this thing? Um, well, I, I, it's kind of been a long time coming because I used to make a lot of short films with this group called Ubsy Movies, which John was a part of and two of our other close friends, Jeff and Robbie Benson, were a part of from like 2002 up until a year or two ago. And while we were making movies together we made this short called bobby's house which is like a really short goofy version of this feature-length film always learning which we're talking about and after that we made that short we all said man man that's this is a great idea because we were all homeschooled and that was kind of the premise of what bobby's house was about mm. and um we said man this is great like we write a feature about this and it never really turned out to anything but in about 2009 fall of 2009 i was in a screenwriting class <clears throat> at san jose state and uh I started writing the script and back then it was a little bit different characters, different ages, different names, different overall premise. But the idea was there and uh, I developed it for the next two years or so. And uh, naturally I let the the, uh, script just sit in nothingness for about five months straight doing nothing with it. And then 
I thought, you know, I'm probably not going to make it next summer. I have to raise like $30,000 to do this. Like, this is going to be next to impossible. I shouldn't even consider it. Damn. Yeah. I mean, wow. that's that's a small amount of money compared to how much yeah, seriously, normally yeah. you're supposed to make a movie for. But $30,000 with a lot of donations and stuff like that, you know, that's all people working for free, too. 45 students work on each film each year. So it's, you know, it's it's a handful. So we, wow. we're trying to go through it. And I, I kind of decided, you know, basically on December of 2010 that I actually really did want to go for it. And I started compiling the crew together and working on the script. I rewrote the entire script from scratch four times. Um, between December and May of 2011. And we started filming um, everything in... Uh, what We started, like, I think, July 6th. July 6th when we started filming. We ended filming about August... Mid-August, like the 16th or so. Uh, all in 2011. So we filmed, you know, roughly 2.71 terabytes of footage <laughs> in that time frame. To give you a rough idea, I don't know so how almost, long. But almost three terabytes. Almost three terabytes of footage. Wow. That three thousand gigs. Yeah, and that was ProRes four two two, so that's not saying much, but, um, <laughs> but you know, it's it was it was fat. But I mean, that's what we did for five or six weeks straight. Wow. Is there was six days, six days a week on set, fifteen hour days, um, nonstop, and we kind of knew that's what we were up against, you know, going into it, because that's how it'd been in previous years. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the rundown of how it all logistically happened. And now since the film wrapped, um, I've been working really closely with, with Jeremy Inman, who has been my editor, and John Mager, my producer, who's also been doing a, quite a bit of editing. So between the three of us, we've been getting the film to its point. It's currently at, uh, which is where it's going to be viewed at Cinequest on March 6th at 9.30 p.m. at the San Jose Repertory Theater in downtown San Jose. Yeah, yeah. Um, right now it's still rough. Some quick color correction was done. That was quite a headache. And uh, some placeholder music is there. And we're just kind of just want to show it as a rough cut. And that's what Cinequest is fortunately facilitating right now, which is pretty cool. Are uh, tickets still available? Tickets, tickets are going to be available until the day of. So if anybody is listening who's interested in going, you're more than welcome to go. It's going to be a little Q&A afterwards so you can say something about this podcast if you want to. That'd be funny. I would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that that's 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 the Well, I mean, so here's the thing. I've only seen the trailer, <clears throat> the trailer of the movie that's on Vimeo. Um Right. Am I, say, I. am I saying that right? Is it Vimeo or Vimeo or... I always say Vimeo. If you say it any other way it sounds. Who weird. says Vimeo? <laughs> I don't think anybody says Vimeo. Maybe maybe just people who already have accents. That's how sounds, they say sounds it. Sounds like pretentious. Okay, I don't know where you heard that. I'll tell you. I'll tell you after the show. Um, <laughs> so, on Vimeo, I've seen the trailer, um, but I guess for people who haven't, I mean, like, can you can you tell us just like briefly what the movie's about? So yeah, I mean, the, the, the really short pitch about it is I'm trying to get this pitch really short so that it actually is a pitch and not just an explanation of the movie. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Always learning is a film about a 17 year old boy named Tobiah who's been homeschooled his entire life. And he wants to get away from his overbearing mother and move out. That's that's the short and skinny of it. That's that's it. Like there you go. But going into more elaborate explanation, which I'll do for this, you know, this is obviously a question about the movie. Yeah. Um, he's seventeen years old. He's been homeschooled. And he basically only Tobias only social interaction he's had to date is weekly meetups at a at a park, a public park, with a bunch of other homeschooled children, all of which are about five to eight years younger than he is. So the kids are like 10 years old and younger. Um, 
no other kids are actually his age. He has no friends his age except for one, and it's an incredibly sheltered life. Um, a kid joins his homeschooling group because he was expelled from high school because he's you know, aggressive and this weird kind of off-putting kid named Joey, um, who basically Tobiah takes a liking to because he's not like anybody else he's met before. He's aggressive and gets takes what he wants and just gets things done and kind of wakes Tobiah up from the mundane. Um, I should also preface this by saying at the beginning of the movie, we find out that Tobiah was accepted to a four-year university, top-level university, very far away from where his mother lives, forcing him to move out. Which you kind of see, which you kind of see in the preview. Yeah. yeah, you see that exactly. You see that in the trailer. That he's... And the mom's like totally. She's like mega skeptical. Like she doesn't like the idea. Right. She's mega skeptical with the for the exclusive purpose that she doesn't feel like he's ready to move out, and like feel like he's just not an adult yet. She, he is his her baby boy, and that he is not grown up enough to move out. And so, uh, through the trials and tribulations of hanging out with Joey and being Joey's sister, Samantha. Uh, Tobias, I guess you could say, will is tested, and he makes a lot of poor decisions, goes back and forth, and eventually, uh, well, don't spoil it, things happen, so, <laughs> and eventually things happen, and you should come see the movie to see the rest and find out what happens. Cool. Robert, I gotta say, watching that preview, I was totally impressed that I actually know someone who could make a feature-length uh, Me too, like me that. too. It's like, I mean, I watched that thing, and it's like a real movie you know what i mean i mean i don't right it's not like the movies i make you know <laughs> like, well, i mean I'm, I'm glad you guys think so i mean it's like it's that weird question of like at what point is it no longer like oh is this, is this me by like the, what i want people to say to me is your movie was terrible or it was good i don't want people to say you know for a student film that was actually pretty good i don't yeah. want a handicap of saying <laughs> yeah, oh, but yeah you were yeah, a student yeah. when you made this tell me the movie was terrible yeah. tell me this is not a movie i'd want to see because then I can know it's at least running with the big dogs. That but, makes me want to ask you, uh, what kind of film, what kind of uh, equipment were you using to film um, it? We used the, I believe it was Sony. I'm 99% sure it was Sony. Sony F3L, um, which is like... So we're a, talking like real it was a, cameras. It's, I mean, it's a $16,000 camera. I guess that's reasonably oh, expensive. Okay. So that's enough that's as real enough as it set. gets. And, well, actually, it's not. I mean, it's, but, it's not as real as it gets, but it's, it's relatively real. <laughs> that's and, as real uh, as I'll ever get. Then there was like, then there were some... <laughs> Then we use some um, Zeiss Super Speeds, which are like those lenses. Each lens costs as much as the camera did. Like it was yeah, a, and it's, a, it's as big as like a like a gallon of milk or whatever. Yeah, essentially like, each like, each lens would range from about like the size of a softball to a gallon of milk. And so, um, you know, the, each of those we have about eight lenses with that, and that alone was like pretty much most of what cost production. And then there was of course the Genie equipment, which grip and electric equipment. The the lights alone, uh, there was okay. we had two. 1.8 kilowatt lights which if you put that in perspective an average bright light in your house is 100 watts um 180 times that or is it just 18 times that i don't know i think it's 18 times that yeah anyway <laughs> and that's you know it's a lot of light got to it. deal with i think that somebody has a question do any of your homeschooling experiences anecdotes show up in the movie yeah a great deal of them do the fact that i was homeschooled and i mean a lot of when i was writing the script i got a lot of feedback from john the producer and he he being that we were both homeschooled in the exact same homeschooling group uh we both were aware of a lot of each other's similar experiences and uh tried to make it somewhat relatable to people because i mean that it's kind of a foreign concept of what homeschooling actually looks like and i mean i'll be honest i i don't know what it looks like right and not a lot of people do and the thing I is mean, I, I had a friend one of my best friends was uh homeschooled so i mean i feel like i kind of know what it's it, like but it, it's it's 
really defined within each like subcategory. Like there's people, there's like there's like religious fanatics who are homeschoolers and they're exclusively homeschoolers for that purpose alone. And that's its own yeah. thing. There's pr- overprotective parents, which is what my parents were, and like and like most people, most of my close friends were. Um, and there's people who are just expelled and they weren't allowed to go to public school, and so they were homeschooled just to be outside the ranges of the law in the regards. Like they did, <laughs> like that was really it. You know, and I so, never think of that. Like I always think of, I don't know, like, any extremity. I remember when I was, I remember when I was in school, it was like. I went to, you know, the normal school. There's, like, you know, a couple middle schools in the city or whatever, and I went to one of them, and there's, like, two others or whatever. And then there was this other one, and I can't remember the name of it, but that was the school that the expelled kids went to. So, and I mean... Really? Yeah. Oh, totally. I can't remember what that school was called. I should try... I'll try and look it up. But, yeah, there was, like, a school that was, like... It was known. It was, like, if you got expelled from regular school, you would go to this other school that was, like, on the other side of town. What was your biggest obstacle in uh making this movie um <laughs> oh biggest obstacle well each stage Come on, dude I'm, I'm getting you ready for uh for questions after no your i know no, i love it i love it and i think the biggest <laughs> obstacle it's hilarious because like the biggest the biggest thing that i had difficulty with was the nebulous process of writing the script because a script can go any way possible and even like you change a couple of major scenes and this entire film is an entirely different feel and are you really going for it to be are you looking for it to be a comedy or a drama like and it can have the same actions occur but the feeling and the mood of the film is going to be completely dependent on what your vision is and what you're expecting to get out of it and like you start to kind of feel overwhelmed when you're writing a script especially when you get really far into it to think this script can go anywhere and i can go absolutely anywhere with this idea and how what do i really want to say with this film and yeah, I could see where it would get to be like it, it could spiral out of control and you, you yeah. won't be able to like bring it back together. I I started thinking. And so to that's myself, not even during the filming of the movie, though. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like before, right? Like right, long before. before. Every step has been comparably as difficult in its own right, because that writing process was not physically demanding as much as production was where production like, OK, that's that was the pro- hard, pro- hardest process of writing the script. And that forced me to buckle down. I remember one day. I drove, I, I, I took a, I flew out to Los Angeles to meet some friends. And the last time I wrote the script, the fourth time I rewrote the script, I took a train back from Los Angeles to, to San Jose, which takes 10 hours. And wow. that, that 10 hour train ride, I rewrote the entire script <laughs> from scratch, from nothing, from a blank page, just from memory alone. And that was really the final oh, script we started working on. Yeah, no, I did that four times where literally I just had like a vague outline I'd written and then I just rewrote the script by hand. And hmm. it would only, the reason why you do something like that is because you get rid of all the like vestigial like garbage from previous drafts. Yeah, and you really yeah, make something new and, yeah. and, and correct. So that so that's like standard procedure, I'm guessing. Like it I should mean, be, it should be standard. <laughs> it yeah, saved me a lot of heartache. But that was the hardest part of writing. Then moving on to production, I mean, raising money was really difficult. Uh, a film came in at like twenty six thousand or something like that. And how how did much... you raise that money? I mean, I don't know. Can you say? I don't know. I mean, I, I can tell you, it, being a part of a nonprofit is a huge part of that. Um, being a part of the school definitely gives a lot of clout to it, like clout to the program. Yeah. The fact that it's an educational experience for like 45 students is huge. Um, I mean, that that's, 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 those are all huge facts. If I was trying to do this by myself, it would have been impossible because, A, I wouldn't have gotten all the free equipment that the school ha- provided. I would not have had the free, the free work from those 45 students. I would not have had the oversight of the insurance from the school to actually rent from other companies like local rental companies, a lot of 
pluses that came with that. And uh, this, this stuff came from, you know, it came from a variety of sources that I'm not going to talk about, but they all got came it, from, because it. it was a part of the school. That was really it. Is that the huge part was because of the school. So, um, you know. It, the, were, were, the, were the actors uh, students as well? I mean, of course they were students, but of uh, San Jose State. Some of them were. Some of them were students. Okay. Um, some of them were just people. We had, we had full auditions. We had three levels of auditions where it was uh, school-wide auditions, city-wide auditions, and then just open auditions. Okay. And, I mean, the auditions. Were, were, you, this, were you the law? Is this you? You're sitting in the that law? chair, that, like, Hollywood chair yeah, or whatever. Dude. and you, With you, the hat on. You've got your hat on, whatever. I, there was no <laughs> hats. I, well, there was on one hat. There was like, one hat. You know those hats? Face. You know those Dude, you're, like, hats? making and breaking people. You know those hats? I only wore one hat, and it was during production. You know those hats, like, like the baseball hats, but like safari ones that drape down to your shoulders. Oh yeah, I wore that hat. That was the only hat I wore. And I can tell you right now, I look like an elderly woman. The one has like curtains back, on it. Yeah, it has curtains. It has a nice little satin curtain on it. That's the only hat I ever wore because then my neck wasn't burnt to death, and I I was very appreciative. Of Me and my cinematographer Miles Gilbert both wore them, and uh, we funny. both bought colors that we didn't really like and exchanged them midway production, and we liked the new color much better. But regardless, um. No, I was I was the law. I was the one to pick and choose. All right. I of course had you know, as I mentioned, Dude, John Mayer really and like other like, people to consult with. But I really like the character that you picked. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the, only the trailer. Uh, I like the mom. Okay, yeah, I think she's like she just fits that that role of like I'm the overprotective mother who's like oh, extremely no, great, worried yeah. about my kid and like overbearing kind of thing. Right. Uh, the the kid Tobiah is basically Michael Sarah. So that yeah, was a great, was a great decision. <laughs> I, I made a joke recently with John where I was talking with him and I said, you know, if we were to remake this movie for like millions of dollars, like I, I, I'm so in love with Drew. Like I, Drew, Drew Jones is the main character. Yeah. That's the actual actor. I said, I would just pick Drew. He's, he's the new Michael Sarah. And, and then John goes, and then John goes, hmm, he'd probably take Michael Sarah or Jesse Eisenberg. And I said, well, okay, I would. But I mean, like literally I love Drew. <laughs> No, he's yeah, he's great. Yeah. I mean, Josh, am I right? Does it not feel like a Michael Sarah kind of role? I mean, he does. Um, I mean, he's yeah, a, he's he an awkward he teenage kid. That's but, Michael. But Sarah. it's like Michael Sarah meets Napoleon Dynamite, dude. A little, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, he's kind of messed up. <laughs> um, and I like the guy who I guess he's the dean of like admissions or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, the dean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He I seemed like a good choice. Name. Hey, Silence Breaks asks, uh, where did you get the name Tobiah? I <laughs> I did know somebody named Tobiah, and I, I fought really hard to decide whether I was going to pick that name or not because I don't think there's a lot of Tobias in this world. And no. I feel like he might know that's him. It might not be. Hopefully he's not listening. Um, <laughs> no, I, I like like I thought it was a very appropriate name because it encompasses the odd Odd, like it, it just says yeah. that's a that's a weird name, dude. Tobiah. I completely agree. Yeah, <laughs> it encompasses yeah. what the character needed to be known as. Tobias. And you know what? You know what? It is a weird name. But when I heard it, I didn't think that's a weird name. Why would he pick that? It like it's, fit his character. I, it's like that's a weird name, but it's not that weird for this kid. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. No weird kid. Given the context, he's not that weird. Yeah. It's like oh well, it totally makes sense that. He's his name is Tobiah, <laughs> right? Exactly. This is somebody who'd be named Tobiah. Yeah, yeah. Um, somebody says it sounds religious. It probably is it's highly kind of, religious. I haven't like done my own Jeb, research. Jebediah. About yeah, That's exactly. Like, Jebediah, <laughs> Tobiah. Here we are. <laughs> um, Something biblical, I'm sure. Who was your best boy? 
oh, I wanted to know all about this. The, I want to know. <laughs> Did you guys do some weird, the, some what minor is the level boy? research about what a best boy is? I don't know what it is, and I don't oh know what God. the key grip is, but I know it's in the every, key grip. That's the other one. That's they're the in other every one. Tell me you had credits. One. Sure. Okay. So I remember making this joke a long time ago too, because I didn't know what a best boy was either, and just that name by itself means nothing. It's like, so what does weird. that mean? Uh, I remember when. I remember when I like we made a short a long time. Ago. I think actually was Bobby's house. I think I got listed as the best boy because we thought that's a funny a funny title for him. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, best boy, fine. So okay, to elaborate, it's funny to bring both those names up because they're relevant to each other. So on a set, there is what's known as a key grip, and there's something else known as a gaffer, also known as a chief lighting technician. Uh, on a set, there's things called C stands, which are stands that hold lights. There's things called flags that block off light. There's gels. There's barn doors that go over the lights. There's different sort of elements that are involved in lighting. Got it. And, and there's gaffer's tape. Gaffer's yeah. tape. Gaffer's tape is used by <laughs> grips as well. Grips. Now, there's the, the key grip, as I said. And then he's below him, there are... He's in charge of the other grips. Correct. He's he their the, boss. He's the big big Got boss it. grip. Top and grip. his secondhand man, in both situations, for the gaffer and for the key grip, there are best boys. There's a best boy grip he's, and the best boy electric. And okay. Best Boy Electric is secondhand man to the gaffer, and the Best Boy Grip is secondhand to the grip, obviously. Best Boy Grip. So these uh, are like your go-to guys. His go -to, like they're the second in command. So it's like, hey, you need something done. Big boss might be in the middle of something. Hey, second boss, go and, go tell the boys what's up. Got it. <laughs> so that, so, that, so it's not like a small role. No, no. It's not like no a means. nothing like, sort of position. And I remember a specific night where this became incredibly crucial was we were filming a scene that's in the trailer, I think, where basically they're driving at night, and Tobiah acknowledges that he didn't. He was accepted, although accepted to the four-year university, his mom was not going to let him go because he had this, you know, application for enrollment deferral. So saying he wasn't going to be enrolled for a while, they're driving home, and obviously it's very difficult to light a car actually driving down the street and actually get people visible in a car. So we thought, how are we going to do this? And uh, there is a a process that I've always, that I've known it to be called the poor man's process, which is it's exclusively used for when you want to fake that a car is moving when it really isn't. Uh -huh. Ways that you do this, you shake the car a little bit, you add some sound effects in post of a car driving, and you add lights that are moving. So you have lights outside the car spinning, like over and over again, doing full 360s <laughs> as if the car is passing by uh, street lights. Sounds really bad. You do you do four. No, it sounds it sounds pretty but like you, ghetto. If, but if it you, sounds like if you did it right, it would work. We really well. sold it. Yeah. I swear to you. If you watch the movie, if I didn't say it to you right now, there's no way you would know otherwise. And it worked perfect. I was so skeptical. I How was often do you think they do that? Yeah. Is oh, that common? All the time. They did it in The Godfather. They've done it in huge movies. Like even when because it saves so much money. Even if you can afford to do it. Do you really want to drive around with, you know, 2,000 watt lights hanging off the top of the car by suction cups driving down a street? No. Good lord. <laughs> hey, Robert. Hey, Robert. Robert. You what? Yeah. I want you to rate The Godfather from 1 to 10, 10 being the best. Oh, come on. I haven't seen this movie in, like, two years. I would I would give it for what I remember it to be, and also based on the commentary. That's great commentary, that movie. You'll, like, you'll love the commentary. Um, come on. Just rate it. Okay, give me a number. I don't know. I would say eight. Eight and a half. What did I give it? Oh, that's pretty. That's pretty good. What did I give you it? You didn't like it at all. I didn't. We had a podcast. Did you know, on the Godfather? Did you know that the cat that he has that Marlon Brando has in that movie? They literally found it on set hours before they filmed, and Marlon Brando loves cats, and so 
Francis Ford Coppola picked up the cat and walked it over to Francis or to uh, Marlon Brando, handed it to him, and then he just started paying the cat. And the cat was just if you watch the cat in that movie, the cat that cat is in love with Marlon Brando. It's rolling around in his lap. Hey, oh, 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 at the very beginning, the yeah, very yeah, beginning, yeah, that yeah, cat, yeah. The, okay. the the famous cat. That everybody's like whenever they mention the Godfather. Okay. Oh my god! Like it, it's always there. It's just hilarious because he just found it on set. Like here, cat, go. That's funny. What is this about the oranges? Someone in the chat so, is saying there's, there's when, something going on with oranges. I, I can't remember exactly. I know what he's referring to, but I can't remember the story behind it exactly. I'm pretty sure there is a scene where Marlon Brown is running around with his granddaughter in the movie in a oh in a yeah, garden. and this one has heart. And he has the orange. Yeah, he has the oranges in his mouth, and he has orange peels that cover his teeth. Oh yeah, he's doing that thing where you and, smile and, and it's an actually, orange peel. I think he actually did it like with his actual <laughs> kids. I can't remember the actual story behind it, but that was something he really did or something. Um, hmm. I don't know in real life, but. Um, what was I going to say? So I was, I was going to explain why that night was so, oh, that's right. Oranges equal death in the film. That's right. Cause he gets shot when he's grabbing oranges right into the car too. There's other things in the film. Oh, oranges and death. Good I call. didn't think about that. Good call on oranges of death. That's right. They did that throughout the film. That was something. Um, huh, that's crazy. Well, symbolism. So, uh, with, with that, that poor man's process, I was talking about, we did it and it totally sold, but here's the thing. We did it in a field, a grassy field, uh, by, by San Jose state. And, uh, we were doing it at like two in the morning because you start when you would do whatever you do a night scene, it's always going to be an overnight no matter what because it always takes hours to set things up. Yeah. So we set up, you know, a thousand, 1.8 kilowatt light. We have a couple 2Ks out, like all these extremely hot lights. We're probably pulling, you know, five, 6,000 watts of energy right now from a generator nearby. The sprinklers go on and the oh, entire, <laughs> the entire field is being flooded and like everything. There's, this is like a soccer field. So there's sprinklers everywhere. It's not oh, dinky shoot. sprinklers. These are the 360 sprinklers immediately the camera's already in the car thank god so we don't have to worry about that but immediately how i found out was i looked over and the camera box which all with all the lenses was on a cart the first sprinkler that came up was hitting that cart and i was like who in god's name is pushing that cart right now because he noticed it moving and i didn't think about the sound like who is pushing that cart and then immediately i hear someone scream at the top of the lung sprinklers and within three to four seconds the best boys and the key grip and the gaffer had the lights out and they were like holding lights above the ground and everybody on the genie team scrambled, but it was like such organized chaos and everybody was like wow. covering the sprinklers and like that was like their moment to shine. Hey, uh, this this being an indie flick, uh, have you seen any good other indie flicks that you've, uh, you'd have you recommend? I was uh, looking for a good movie the other day. Let me, I have to think. Well, one, I mean, indie is indie i'm trying to think about something that's actually indie that i would highly recommend um uh, it doesn't have to be but i mean like they're, they're my favorite film of all time is a movie called the squid and the whale which is like relatively indie because i think it costs like 1.8 million to make which is like not a lot in film standards but what's it called the squid and the whale okay um favorite movie of all time noah bombach directed it and it was produced by uh wes anderson which is you know a wider known person but I love yeah, that movie yeah. and huge inspiration for this movie. Um, but that, I mean, that, not indie really, but I, it's still, a, you know, what did, lesser when, movie. when, when was did, it made? Uh, I believe it was 2007 off the top of my head. Okay. What makes a movie an indie? Like, what is that? What does that mean when someone says indie that this by, is an indie movie? By definition, is it's your supposed movie an to be indie movie? my movie's an indie movie. Wait, I, wait, I think I know the answer to this one. Can I guess? Go for it. Yeah. No, uh, what do you call it? movie company or something studio that? studio studio no studio backs it right 
okay. yes, exactly. Whenever no studio is backing something, it's indie. That's the there wide, broad I mean, definition. And that's to of say it. it is independent. It's independent of the studio back. Right. Exactly. There you go. And so that's all it is. And so you, you have a huge budget, but still be independent. Now, I don't even know if Squid the Whale was independent of a studio off the top of my head. I'm not even sure if we would see a movie in theaters that is independent. You know, those indie films do get on Netflix. They get on, you know, different sort of, like, I don't know, Target sometimes sells them. But, like, for distribution, mm-hmm. studios are a huge part of distribution. And that's... yeah. It's hard to get visibility without being a part of a studio. So that that's the hard thing is that how many indie movies have I seen? Well, I've seen a lot through the school. The school's produced. <laughs> yeah. But beyond that. But but I wouldn't be able to like rent them or anything, right? Yeah. That I mean, was you actually could. one of the questions I was gonna ask you. I wrote it down. How can I find more indie films to watch myself? Um, I believe there's an indie category you can search for on Netflix. I okay. off the top of my head. Yeah. If you just try looking on there, you can find pretty easily uh, there's indie categories in most the, the reason I the reason I was going to ask you this is I was watching the uh, what's the freaking award show that was just on the um, Oscars right uh huh so I watched that thing and they had this category like I sat down and started watching it while they were I came in the middle of it and they're doing this category of these movies that like no one has ever oh I shouldn't say that but I certainly have never heard of and it's like the indie film category. And they all actually right. look really cool. And, like, I mean, they're, they are really cool. I mean, they're being nominated for freaking Oscars, you know? And um, and I was like, man, I've never even heard of these. And I don't even know how I would have heard of them or how I would ever find these movies if I wanted to watch them. Exactly. There's, like, next to no visibility for indie movies. I mean, I, and I wish I had, like, something to say, like, oh, yeah, don't worry. They're all right over there. Like, they're all over the place. They're on people's hard drives. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're just, like, hidden around the world and just... For anyone to ever see them, film festivals are huge. Film festivals would be a huge way to see truly independent films, depending on which one you go to. I mean, if you go to like Cannes or something like that, yeah, uh, you're not going to see indie films. If you go to Sundance, you might see a few indie films. If you go to, I mean, honestly, Cinequest is happening right now. If you go to Cinequest, ninety percent of those films are truly independent films. And like for example, I saw Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the Swedish version of it, at Cinequest. Obviously, that was not an indie indie film. Uh, that yeah. was a big time film, you know. But I saw that Cinequest first, and that was, you know, film festivals ideally want to have big name movies there, so they can say like, "Hey, we had the world premiere of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo here," and make it a big deal. So when that movie blows up and they make a, you know, millions of dollars off, they go, "Oh, I'll start a Cinequest. That's interesting." And <laughs> so you know, yeah, getting that yeah. visibility—that's the avenue. It's sort of like it's sort of like when scouts go to baseball games to pick players, it's the same way with festivals. Like, you know, scouts essentially go to film festivals to see who's winning, who's doing well, what people are liking. And then, you know, talk to, talk to uh, the the filmmakers. I'm trying to see what this says. Somebody wants to know, I guess, I don't know if you've actually seen it. Have you seen the movie another earth? I haven't. I've wanted to. Did you listen to our review of it? I listened to most of it. And then my, I was, I was streaming it and then it went down. And so my, Uh, my three G's, I'm so sorry. You have got to watch that movie, Crack Hour. I want to see that and Melancholia. I want to see both those. So I view them in my brain as being like the same plane of like emotional like sadness, <laughs> like terrible, terrible sad. <laughs> Is that a wrap? Dude, I think we're done. Come see my movie, March 6th. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm talking no, to you specifically, um, Andrew Eller. I'm, I'm full on pitching it now. Uh, always <laughs> learning. Give it your pitch. A feature film I wrote and directed, Robert Krakauer. Uh, my first feature film. You can come see it at the San Jose Repertory Theater in downtown San Jose, March sixth, nine thirty p.m. 
I would recommend coming at least half an hour early to get tickets. I don't know if it's going to be packed. I hope it's packed, but, you know, fingers crossed. Um, there will be a Q&A afterwards. You can ask me whatever heartbreaking questions you want. You can just make statements about the movie and how good or bad it was. There will be sheets to hear your reviews on for me to review for the final cut of the film. Um, I would love to see anybody there. <laughs> Specifically people well, I, know, I can. I definitely... I'm definitely planning on being there. Josh, are you planning on being there? 100%. Yeah, dude. Crack hour is going to be a household word after this. There you go. I love it. I'm so glad. <laughs> Michael Sarah is going to be old news. I sure hope so. <laughs> Get that guy out of here. He's been, he's been in the game. He's like a grown, awkward man now. He's not even I, a teenager. You know what? I, I, that's what I kind of think about that guy is like, I mean, seriously, that's all he ever seems to play is like, you know, a kid who's like uh, going through the trials of growing up. And it's right. like, well... He himself is gonna grow up at some point, and he can't play that role anymore. You know? Okay, right. wait, wait. Just hold, hold on a second. Hold on a second, because I am getting this right. That's the kid in that zombie movie we watched, right? He's in. Um, no, you're thinking, of, think you're thinking no, of Jesse Eisenberg. He's another. Oh, one of the, he's no. another one. Of Are those. you serious? I cannot tell those guys apart. No, they're the same person. Um, Essentially, <laughs> I feel like Jesse Eisenberg is a more powerful Michael Sarah. If I were to like grade what's, them, what's Michael Sarah's like famous one? Like, um, was he in? Um, what was that one where there's there? Well, Arrested Development. Park. Arrested? No, Matt's saying Arrested Development. He, he, he was in Arrested Development. He was also in. Um, I mean, yeah, that, and I've, that, I remember him. In yeah, that. I don't know. Yeah, they the amusement Adventureland. I think. Adve- I thought it was called Funland. No, I think, I think it right. was Adventureland. Adventureland. Yeah, okay. Seriously? Those two guys? Juno. Juno's a good one. Thank you. Thank you. He's, he's, I mean, he blew up. He's all over the place. He's like in, in Jackie and Margo's Infinite Playlist or whatever. Yeah. No, no, no. But, but seriously, there what's Scott the one Pilgrim. I'm thinking of? Boy, this guy's going nuts. He what? knows them all. <laughs> this kid's <laughs> Michael Sarah fan. Well, hey. he definitely probably should check your movie out. Change your username to Michael Sarah fan. Hey, what's the one I'm thinking about though? With Zombieland, yes, Zombieland. I cannot believe that that's not Michael Sarah. That's Jesse Eisenberg. I can't believe they're two different people. Jesse Eisenberg is a more aggressive Michael Sarah. That's why he played Facebook Man. (laughs) That's why he is in Zombieland. He's just a more aggressive, like frustrated um, nerd. That's what he is. Zuckerberg. He played Zuckerberg. That was Eisenberg. Eisenberg Zuckerberg. Exactly the same to me. If you want to get a hold of us. Uh, I am Joshua Wettenkamp. I'm trying to bring up our website right now so that I can just read the contact page, <laughs> but it's like taking forever to load. The, anyway, I mean, you can just uh, go to noformatpodcast.com and click on contact us. There you go. Done. That's how you can contact us. Yeah, it's all right there. And that's it. Thanks a all lot, right. Robert. I'm so glad to be on here. Thank you, guys. No problem, man. Thank you.